morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Garage Gym PT podcast. Sitting with you again is Lou and Dave. Hope What's you guys, guys enjoyed our uh, our talk last week about uh, the deadlift and the mechanics, and we kind of got caught off there a little bit. Um, uh, we're going to kind of dive in a little bit more, kind of continue a little bit of what we were doing last time. We're going to focus more on core bracing today. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, a lot of people have some misconceptions about what this actually means. Uh, belting too soon, just general mm-hmm. core and lower back stability. So we can probably start touching on some of those topics. Um, I don't know. I guess like let's just uh, figure out the best analogy. And I still think the one that I like the most is probably the can analogy for trying mm-hmm. to figure out how you should draw breath. Just by nature of viewing your core as like a 360 structure and not necessarily mm-hmm. just your your abs or just like the visual abdominals that you see correct the i feel like sometimes whenever someone says like brace your core how many times do you see people just hold their breath yeah and it's kind of strange because the the actual practice of it really isn't just holding your breath it's actually like expanding your abdominal cavity interesting thought not even say like how you breathe matters and Mm -hmm. where you're putting the air probably matters more than that you're just holding your breath like obviously we want to close the cavity but if you're not creating the the brace in the proper form then it doesn't really matter that you're doing it Mm -hmm. so how would you how would you instruct someone on like sequencing they're they're breathing and then they're bracing or maybe the opposite bracing and then they're breathing um i feel like i've seen both ways now and honestly both ways have worked but i guess the way that i've always found the best results with with core bracing would be to create that rigidity first and then the breath enhances that so like creating that contraction and then breathing into that tension sure uh I think, I think this kind of goes without saying, but accumulating reps without a belt is probably the best way to find this. And then a belt should do like your enhancement. Bingo. Um, something very important to distinguish from here is your chest rise versus an abdominal fill. All right. So if you breathe and your chest rises, this is not going to yield the results that you want. Whereas the abdominal fill actually creates quote unquote intra abdominal pressure, the chest rise just makes you hold your breath. And debating on who you look at and who you read, this is just not the best way to breathe, period. Um, mm-hmm. So it could be something where you, you have some very easy things to address if you can just figure out how to fill your stomach with air first. Mm hmm. So um, I've I've seen a sequencing that, assuming that you're doing these things correctly, that I like. So there's like a big breath of air through your mouth at the top, where you take a huge breath in, and then as soon as you hold, you actually nasal breathe in deeper to fill the cavity to its, you know, possible 100. percent mm-hmm. And then that kind of helps create that. Not vacuum seal, but probably the best way that I can put it into thought. Yeah. 
No, I like that a lot because I feel like it almost creates like a an overpressure. And then especially if you can get that down and then eventually get to the point where you are, you know, or you should be adding in a belt or actually could add in a belt. Um, that just gets even more enhanced, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, and you'll, you'll see studies too where people are arguing to use the belt at lower percentages because it increases abdominal activity. But I hate the reliance on it. Yeah, uh, your external cueing is not necessarily great for long-term training. No, and the idea should be that you're, you require less bracing as time goes on. You know, when you get towards your higher percentages, when you need to execute a lift that you can rely on something extra to make it cleaner, not the other way around. That's weird. Well, I, I've always seen like, I'd be curious to read that study because I know like I've always been taught like, you know, 80% and up, you can slap one on if you feel like you really need to, um, especially if you're going for like a one rep. But yeah, and I'm, I'm not really sure what they're trying to accomplish with this i mean yeah that's weird i think that they were just showing that it increased your abdominal activity i don't necessarily uh, okay. know that they were going for like a long-term prevention strategy that um, makes sense but once again what happens in absence of the belt when you're under load too yeah right if you're relying on things for postural cueing while you're actually building up stability arguments probably not So like besides the the breathing faults then Dave, what about like positional faults during the brace? What what's like the most common ones that you've seen? Um probably people not figuring out lat tensioning. Mhm. Mm so when we talk about that can, right? We've talked about the front where you're filling up the piece with air, but your lats actually have a huge component of stability because of their attachment points to your your trunk and then into your lower back. Mm -hmm. um, so people tend to get very loose with their lats, whether it be in the deadlift, like we talked about yesterday or at the top of a squat, not positioning their elbows correctly to drive their elbows down and actually get that upper back tension. Mm -hmm. Yeah creating the entire I mean the lats are part of that core structure when it comes down to the trunk area so like it, it it's like almost like losing the tension off the side so like that coke can can just kind of get smashed um I think another thing I've seen is like the have you ever seen like the anterior tilt when people kind of have like the scissor fault where like they just don't maintain that like position and so instead they create like a really big like stretch through the front and they're really short in the back. And then as soon as they get that load and they lose the brace. As in like the, the load is almost like forcing the exhale or something. Bingo. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that does come down to like cueing execution. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen it more in like my younger athletes as opposed to yeah um, and m more often than not my like really mobile kids like the kids who are really flexible um they just they try to basically like you had basically i think said in an earlier episode they default to their stronger muscle mass yep. so they, they're they're going to their extensors in their back and so like everything is just flared open 
And when they go to take their brace and they have like all this abdominal stretch and tension, then when they actually unrack and they get underneath that and it just, they lose all of this brace core tension, all that pressure. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, that got really heavy, really quick. And it's like, well, that's because you lost all that core stability like that. Right. And a lot of that could just be sequencing, meaning like yeah. they could be breathing out at the bottom um, and then capsizing because of the, because of it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think that they're just getting their sequence wrong as far as like when to breathe in, when to brace and then when to hold. So I agree. Like th- that person who's like letting them, their air out at the bottom of the squat or deadlift mm-hmm. <laughs> under maximal load. And then they're just getting manhandled <laughs> by it because it's they got surprised crushed. by it. <laughs> Surprise. Oh my God. Um, so like if you were going to sequence, let's say for, let, let's talk sequencing then for a squat. Um, let's go from start throughout the rep to unrack. Okay. Um, how do you, how do you set up your squat and your brace? Um, I don't, I don't even know that I think about it until about 75, but usually there's a unrack portion, much of a monolift, which I have not used. And you kind of take a small breath. And then I usually try to take two to three steps to get my stance established. And then from there, I wait for the weight to kind of stop wiggling. And again, kind of just push air into my stomach, make sure my upper back's tight. And then I just go into it, usually trying to lead back with my hips and then let the knees bend and come up and repeat the sequence. Unless you're going nice. for like touch and go, in which case, like I'll try to get like three to five reps with that core brace, but mm-hmm. yeah, most of the time that's not really happening at that, that loading. Makes sense. I think, I think the big thing, more time under tension, like when you're doing like repeated, repeated reps, um, being able to sustain that abdominal, like that core tightness throughout is Honestly, there are times where I'll, I'll kind of program sequences where I will try to focus on maintaining, my, like I'm doing squats and deadlifts, but my entire emphasis is just trunk stability, where I'm trying to be able to maintain an adequate brace throughout every single repetition and trying to focus on what my breathing is doing, just so that then when I actually do have to go to the heavier loads, I know this has got just a lot of basically training behind it so that it's not going to just like crap out on me like that. Um Let's see here. So then for the deadlift, Dave, um, I know because yesterday we talked a lot about like like lifting with a rounded spine. Do you think that that can affect your your bracing effectively? Or do you think you can be as effective in a rounded position bracing? The evidence suggests that you can be very braced in a rounded spine when you look at some of like the genetic abnormalities of people. I mean, just looking at like the high end of the spectrum, like you said, the best people tend to lift with like a rounded back. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned like Eddie Cohen, I think somebody like Larry Wheels, uh, Half Thor. I think a lot of those guys, if you look at them from the plane that are taller, you have a slightly rounded, rounded spine. 
clearly it's working for them. Yeah, I mean, the only person I can think of who maybe no, he lists with a running back. I was gonna say, um, where's he at? I still think it's your sumo pullers that are more likely to have a straight back just by nature of the setup. So just because of how you have to position everything? Yeah, because basically you just get there and then it's a very long, slow pull. And you just kind of fall back into it. Yeah, he rounds pretty. So like you were right, Thor, I mean, the videos we're playing now, but he really does round during his deadlifts. I mean, he's just too damn tall not to. <laughs> I was going to say, he's, he's how big? The man's just a freak of nature. But, no, it's a solid deadlift. I mean, rounded back, solid brace. I mean, you can even see his setup. I think he has a record. Currently, I'm pretty he? sure you're right. I thought he did. I don't think the other guy ever got close to him. But, yeah, he is. Man, that is a tall human. He trained up to beat Eddie Hall a couple of years ago. I'm not sure if anybody's topped him since. Yeah. Looks like a long limb guy. Doing some deadlifts. Just disgusting. He is a big human being. Um, and actually, he just suffered a pec tear. So that's Jesus. But he's coming back. It's going to be scary to watch. Uh, no. So besides bracing, Dave, um, I think another thing we could even talk about is like how people should go about utilizing their core, maybe even during um, like bent over rows. For example, I mean, we talk a lot about like squats and deadlifts. I think sometimes I've had a lot of patients who are like, well, like my squat doesn't feel too bad, but when I go to do a bent over row, it's excruciating. And it's like, okay, let's, let's go through your brace. And kind of goes to say, it's almost like the deadlift um, where like they let their arms just go for some reason, like limp noodles. And it's like, they don't sustain the lat tension when they're in that bent, like that hip hinge position. I think yeah. sometimes that's what leads into that that lower back pain because as soon as they maintain some semblance of like lat engagement, pain is minimized. It gets, I'd, I'd also like to see their variation. I mean, if you're doing like a ten leg row versus like an underhand like lat row, like it's much easier to maintain tension doing the uh, underhand version by nature of the arc. Whereas like True. the ten leg rows trying to like throw you into a mechanical disadvantage yeah they're like like the majority of the time you're trying to breathe at the top but in that mm -hmm. situation like i feel like it'd be at the bottom yeah create the tension, tension lift the bar yep yeah i, no, I agree with that tension goes similar to your deadlifts where you almost breathe and then go grab the bar and then try to maintain it to find that post there was a guy who was making a big um a big stink about how i shouldn't say big stink he had a good point um about why people should start training um the internal oblique as much as they try to do like crunches um for sagittal plane movements so like basically working transverse aspects for the obliques in order to work on like he basically does it for the deadlift um he's he's got like an 800 pound deadlift right now the dude's strong as hell um i can't find him i think there's a big case to be made for 
obviously training your whole core, mm-hmm. but doing it heavily. Yeah. So people tend to, for whatever reason, go into super high repetitions with your abdominals. And they never actually bias more of the fast twitch fibers, which is obviously what you need when you're under maximal load. So like working mm-hmm. into like stuff like decline sit-ups or heavy side bends or uh, I think what else they do? Suitcase carries. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually trying to do it for load could be advantageous for your bracing setup. Like you know, that's a very it's a very west side thought. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think the I don't want to say the majority of them is like oblique training, but I do feel like I'm spending more time training obliques than I am like the the rectus, which for those of you who aren't aware is like your six pack. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because of the ability to expand and then like act as like a corset, right? So yep. I think that transverse abdominus training is actually kind of gotten poo-pooed on because you can't not move and activate your transverse abdominus. So it's kind of a thing of the past, but it seems like we're getting much more into like your your obliques and almost like anti-rotation exercises, if I could kind of categorize it. Mm-hmm. So your your pull off press, your heavy carries, your yoke carries, unilateral carries, um, more stuff like that than it seems to be like Russian twist or whatever that you traditionally see like boxing movies. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because your whole goal, like we talked about last episode, is to create a rigid surface for other things to move on, not the other way around when you're trying to lift. True. And that even goes to say that even when you are creating spinal movement, you want your core to be strong to protect uh, the mechanics of your spine, right? So like, like a thrower, they can't hold a rigid trunk, right? But if their core is very strong, and everything supporting the trunk is strong, then that can lead to better outcomes as well. Um, What kind of cues have you seen that just kind of make you go crazy? Like when people are trying to get you to learn how to brace or like teach others how to brace. Um, like, for example, one of my pet peeves for bracing is when they, they tell people to push your belly out. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, like in absence of like a belly, it's kind of weird. That's um, like even teaching that breathing, like that they, they literally tell them push out into the belt. It's like, what about breathing into the belt? Like bracing and create like I, I I usually go by like the two finger rule with the belt where like you want that like snug but it's not like crushing you, right? Yeah. So uh, when you what are you gonna say? Hey, maybe maybe even like depending on the lift, the pull your rib cage down thing. Yeah, yeah. Which like that, that almost. That's good, but like at the same time, like you're almost. Well, if you pull your rib cage down, you have a front squat. And then, like, you get tipped. Yeah, like, and you get bar position. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's a good cue for like activation, but anatomically, it doesn't make sense when you have something on your shoulders because, like, you almost want to push back up into the bar <clears throat> and create like this arc around it. 
to try to stand straight up. So he almost like wants some thoracic extension, whereas that would do the exact opposite. Say, so pull the ribs down, head goes down, everything else follows. Yep. And then you're dumping the bar. <laughs> or running back, it's falling on top of you. <laughs> it's pretty great. No one, no one hates a, a failed lift ever. Thanks, coach. But yeah, well, oh. I mean, what what percentage are you even thinking about putting one on? I mean, this is this is outside of maybe like a Metcon, mm -hmm. in my opinion. So this would be when you're accumulating reps um, outside of fatigue. Mm -hmm. I, I was kind of have like this general rule in mind, 85 to 90%, depending on the day. Yep. And like, even if you're doing speed work, I still think until you hit like maybe the third week, you shouldn't even think about touching it. Mm -hmm. And you're still talking about lifting, right? Not like speed training. Meaning like when you go through like your traditional West side of like the 55, okay. 60, 65 with like a band chain pause variation or what, whatever it might be. Yeah, I think I'm on the same page with you. You should about like 80, 100%, unless like, well, even then I don't do it. So like, I was going to say that if my like, my, my CNS is just done for the week, let's say like I've had a combination of just work spin, I'll say fun, um, haven't been sleeping well, haven't been able to eat right. Um, I'll probably not touch those loads, but like, let's say I, I have to, I have to get a little higher. There's, there's been cases where I've braced maybe around like 70, 75, but that's just because I'm, I'm just not with it that day. And so then what I usually, what I don't do is I usually don't put myself under that heavy load just because I mean, why chance it when I'm not all there? Um, just yeah. stupid. That, that brings us right back to that recovery episode. <laughs> Bingo. If, uh, Bingo. If you're not feeling it, don't touch it live to fight another day. Otherwise, Bingo. you're going to just continue to dig yourself a hole you can't get out of or possibly have to like rehab for 8 to 12 weeks. So be smart. <laughs> <laughs> I was smart. I was smart, okay? Exactly. I didn't want to hit 85% that day. And so my body was telling me, you can't brace on your own. Why the hell would you try adding a belt to this right now? So I did. I modified the workout and I, I hit a lower percentage. And actually about two weeks later, I, I ended up hitting a PR on my deadlift. So I was like, here we go. So that's, yeah. I feel like bracing goes hand in hand with, with your recovery. If you are feeling out of it, um, your brace might not be all there. Just, I mean, Having the ability to sustain a good brace is going to come from your ability to, I guess, mentally get there. Does that make sense? Like coordination and sequencing wise? Yeah. And it's just like practice over a long period of time. Mm hmm. It's, I mean, not every day is going to be a good day, but still. Right. And then all this stuff is kind of at the end of is your pattern already in the semblance of whatever you're trying to do? It's just an added benefit. So if you have no idea what you're doing in a squat, it doesn't really matter how hard you brace. 
you just stink at squatting, then <laughs> you have a shit squat. No brace will save you. That's all right. Let's just get the squat right first. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, anything else you wanted to add to for today, Dave? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Um, basically, main takeaways is like, guys, please just view the core as like a three sixty view. So it's not just doing a hundred thousand crunches and quote unquote getting abs. It's please hit the stuff on the side. Please be sure that you're building low back resilience and considering lat tension when you're doing the main lifts. Mm -hmm. Build your core, build your lats. Have fun. Yep. In order right, to get it, lift heavy. <laughs> Just don't fold like a house of cards. Amen. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed today's discussion on uh, bracing today. Uh, we will see you guys in the next episode.